Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 6 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. This episode, we'll be talking about awesome EO code. Let's do the news on the 19th of June 2020. First thing I wanted to mention was revisiting our idea of launches. Planet in particular have been launching more of their satellites, more of the Skysats and more of their super doves okay. in the last month and a bit. This is interesting because they've lowered their Skysat fleet to acquire images at 50 centimeter resolution. So that's a lower orbit so they can get higher resolution. Yeah, and that means okay. they'll have a shorter lifetime because they'll, they'll burn out. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. And this is interesting because they're saying now that they're getting the potent, the potential to have a, up to a 12 times revisit period in a day. So obviously they think there's a business case in this. And we've talked a little bit about this idea of constellations before, haven't we, in a previous podcast. So this is, this is sort of quite big news, really. You know, in the next 18 months, two years, we're going to see a lot of VHR, very high resolution optical data. It's interesting, isn't it? This 12 captures per day, that is very specific. And you're not going to put a satellite in there on the off chance. So they must have someone lined up. That type of thing lends itself to things that change really, really rapidly. So things like in ports where ships go in and out or or maybe military movements, things like that. So I wonder if there's, a de- I'm guessing defense would be the obvious one, a defense yeah. co- uh, contract that they've got. Or again, I wonder if there's a contract with some of these big data analytics companies that we've mentioned in the past where they just, they, they need much higher fidelity data. That's really interesting that they're doing that. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You're not looking to buy 12 images a day, but you you may want to be buying what's happened across yeah. that day. Maybe they're just trying to own that piece of the, the market early. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, stamp their brand all over it and people will think, okay, well, if I need high resolution data, I'm going to go to planet rather than one of the other constellations that are, are planning to go up because they're going to have a much higher sort of brand awareness yeah, good point. it's a really interesting commitment as well to the SkySats because the, the this was a company that was an initially called terabella bought by google and then bought by planet maybe this is the play and, and they're using the doves more in the spectral domain so they've got the temporal the high resolution and the, the spectral domains all in the crosshairs as it were cool so I'm going to start with Sean Gorman's talk at Phosphogy UK online that was on Wednesday, 17th of June. And I was hosting this and I'll, I'll be honest, I got to the end of Sean Gorman's talk. And I think I say this in the video when, when uh, that gets released. I, I was so speechless and stunned by what they'd managed to do as a company. So this is pixel8.earth that I didn't really know what to say. I was really glad that people had questions and I could I could sort of read those out for him. But it was just stunning. So for those who don't know, effectively uh, Pixelate are, are trying to take photos and video from standard phones and drones and other things and merge them all together and create 3D point clouds and then render scenes back onto them and create a type of Google Street View style product. If I got the focus of the talk correctly, they've done a sort of demo of this and and proved that the technology works and that it has potential. It's just one of these things where I was just sat there and I was thinking, A, this is an amazing idea. B, I love the fact that no one ever said, 
that's nuts that can't be done and that or if they did <laughs> people if they did people just went out and did it and i also like the fact that potentially you know we're looking at one of those companies that in 3 or 4 or 5 years time could be really really in the news it's interesting stuff isn't it i mean it's it's really high density what do you think the sort of the marketplace is for this kind of product the main thing that hits me is transport particularly if autonomous vehicles becomes a thing or even if it doesn't that type of transport network style information where it's always updated by people taking photos with their phones or even by the autonomous vehicle itself the sensors that are on it can send information back and constantly update all of the routes with the latest imagery and the latest 3d point clouds i mean that is so powerful in itself Mm. so the traditional mapping companies that you would have relied upon will not be as relevant as well i guess the The difference between the two is with the traditional companies, maybe you get higher accuracy because you've got LiDAR built onto vehicles and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And with this, it was using a lot of structure from motion. I don't know what the the absolute accuracy difference is between the different ones, but I'm guessing it's structure from motion with a, a variety of different photographs taken from commercially available sensors like your phone aren't going to be quite as high tech. But... Just imagine the power of, I don't know, if you're walking down the street and you take some photos and you ping it through and, and it's because, I don't know, a branch of a tree fell down. Well, that's automatically updated. Whereas if you go for one of the traditional mapping companies, they've either you've got to phone them up and they get their car out and it comes along and it maps it. Well, chances are it's not going to map it because these things, like my road has been mapped by the Google car, I think maybe three times in 10 years, something like that which is fine. It doesn't really make a big difference because nothing's changed in my road particularly. But there are situations where I think this this ability to use the crowd to update data like this would be remarkably uh, powerful. That's interesting, isn't it? When you were saying that, I, I was thinking to myself, maybe there's an application here in rapid response. Yeah. So things like, I mean, down on the south coast of the UK recently, there have been a number of uh, cliff falls Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess the Environment Agency is up and flying and collecting LiDAR data, and I guess the councils maybe send someone out with a LiDAR sensor. But just think of all the people who have phones who are nearby. And admittedly, they can't be climbing over the the cliff fall to get pictures, but (laughs) there, there is the potential that they could just be there minutes after a cliff fall has happened, take some photos in the required way, send them off, and you've got a 3D surface that is useful to somebody you know the coast guard could use it or the police or whoever yeah and if there was if there was some way that they could make it fun you could get even more people doing it because at the moment it's going to be a bunch of people who know about phosphor g and and basically go oh that's yeah. cool and take some photos i don't know if you could partner up with an, a future version of uh, pokemon go or whatever the potential for this just seems huge and that's that's why i was so excited by it okay cool I think it would be remiss not to mention Stack hitting its 1.0 release. And they're calling it 1.0 beta.1. So I assume that Chris Holmes has achieved his billion record. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, he's saying that it's pretty stable. So now, now if, you, if you're going to produce an image catalogue or geospatial catalogue, now is a good time to jump on it. Radiant Earth Foundation introducing a technology fellow, Rob Emanuel, to work on it to you know, enhance the stack browser and the Python libraries and 
all this kind of stuff. Oh, that's very cool. So I have a, a couple of bits of software news, and the first one is related to Stack. Hey. Um, <laughs> so PyGeo API has um, now included Stack technology into its software stack, as it were. So it implements Stack as a geospatial file browser, supporting any level of directory hierarchy and file nesting. Do you use PyGeo API? Have you come across this? You know what? I saw it because you tweeted it, and I thought, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was sort of admitting my guilt in not knowing. So I was quite pleased to see it. Yeah, I was, I was really interested to see this. And then my, my second software update thing was that sentinel sat has been updated yeah this is, this is really good news as well what's the latest version uh 0.14 0.14 it really does make it a lot easier to find data by the open access hub right okay that's cool okay ace a whole tranche of public sector geospatial information has come out in the last week or so, starting with the Unlocking the Power of Location, the UK's geospatial strategy from 2020 to 2025 was published three days ago. Did you see this? I saw it being published, so I have no idea what's in it. There's a geospatial commission mm -hmm. in the UK, and there are on LinkedIn 23 employees working for this geospatial commission. I thought that was a surprisingly high number to a committee to really look at how we can use geospatial data better. Yeah, so they've got this document out. Um, it's available PDF or HTML. And it's interesting because as soon as these things come out, I instantly go and look for the for words. So I don't necessarily I put my hands up and say I haven't read the whole document, but I always look for words like earth observation, remote sensing, all this kind of stuff. And it is mentioned, which is great. The main thing that they want to do is they want to enhance the value of buying the data. So, you know, buy it once and be more efficient in buying that data. So is this all about public sector? Yeah. Okay. This document is sprinkled with case studies and a lot of them are satellite based. This is really interesting. And it's sort of, it's sort of saying, oh, this is, these are important things that this technology is delivering. This is the kind of document where I would be looking to see the word stack saying we're yes. going to implement this. We're going to implement the stack catalog for our data. We're going to standardize so it's easily accessible. Maybe, maybe I'm getting too fine grained. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just, I've got to the page where they're talking about understanding the geospatial skills market. The skills that are required today are things like stack and are things like open EO and all that. I mean, I know it's broader than just earth observation, but yeah, you're yeah. right. All the all the stuff we talk about on this podcast should be maybe not listed in in the document like this, but there should it shouldn't be about just sort of like oh we're going to put money into making sure people have geospatial skills. They should be stating which geospatial skills are most needed. And yeah, absolutely, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because I can totally understand why public sector needs a long-term vision and it needs a strategy. And this looking at it, I mean, most of it makes sense. But to those of us who are in the industry and who are involved in talking to fast-moving businesses and, and those businesses who are trying to develop stuff rapidly and the open source communities around those and things like that, a lot of this is just like, okay, yeah, business as usual. And the smaller companies and the uh, open communities will 
they'll just get on and do the thing that is required. Like you, I want to be positive about it because a lot of work has obviously gone into it. And absolutely, yeah. it's nice to be able to, you know, if someone says, what do you do? You can point them at this and go like this. This is what we do. I think maybe I'm trying to see it from a more fine grain point of view. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff in this document mentions the word location a lot. Yeah. And I never really felt that comfortable with the sort of location terminology of it it's geography yeah you know i thought that's kind of inherent what i really love is like the thing i'm looking at at the moment storing carbon in seagrass it talks about why it's important what are they going to do about it you know what organizations are involved you're like wow this is this is this is interesting yeah that's cool but what i want to see under that is like the bullet point saying to adopt this further we're going to implement a stack enabled cog based catalog yeah Final thing from me is I just want to give a quick heads up that registrations are now open for the RSPSOC conference. So this is a virtual conference being run on the 3rd of September. It's called Measure the World. And if you go to rspsoc.org.uk, you'll be able to find out some more details about that. Okay, let's move on to our topic this time we're going to be talking about awesome Earth Observation Code. This is basically something that, that we started from one of our lunchtime discussions way back in April. And yeah, yeah. Ba- basically the premise of the discussion was bring to our 45-minute chat cool things that, you, that you've seen on GitHub. Bring some cool links and discuss why you think they're cool and, and all these different projects. And the premise of the idea is... There's lots of stuff out there that we that we don't know about. There's lots of projects. There's there's obviously you know the, the big ones that we talk about all the time, but there's all sorts of other things out there. And what are we missing? And it was a fascinating discussion. We talked about you know machine learning and deep learning inevitably, but also about all the different components. So you know basically there's SAR projects, there's standalone spectral projects, there's lots of optical work, there's lots of Python. And that sort of led me on to thinking, right, we, we need a resource for this because it's quite clear that there's no centralized point where it's almost to sort of say, let's just share our bookmarks now. And I have been absolutely blown away by what I have found and seen we're we're at 400 pretty much now resources and i've been blown away in in many ways but there's a lot of r that i never even considered on on that volume that's been done on earth observation we we barely ever mention it yeah there's a lot of deep learning stuff but this is this is the thing that's attracting people into the sector i think yeah certainly from the coding point of view and quite often it's people that have never used the data before so they're they're sort of working out how to use the data in new and exciting ways because they're not constrained by how they've been taught to use it or how they've always used it in a desktop environment or any of that sort of thing i find it really interesting to see how people just approach imagery as data these days yeah i I completely agree with you and i think it's something that that people who've worked with imagery a, a lot of time especially in the desktop have maybe forgotten that it is just arrays of data yeah yeah exactly you know i think it's quite compelling from a machine learning point of view that we don't have to do too much heavy lifting to get our data into these machine learning or or deep learning processes the only tricky bit we've got is to maintain or to put back the projection information yes where this stuff is 
Oh, and that's more difficult than it should be. <laughs> but I mean, you just, you know, it's just, a, it, you know, that's where the skill is, isn't it? And actually, it sort of this moves a little bit on to um, another lunchtime call we had on should you be a deep learner and new to remote sensing or should you be a remote sensing person and learn about deep learning? So first off, I want to say a massive thank you to you, Andrew, because you've put in 98% of the uh, effort in terms of <laughs> generating this. This is an amazing resource, I've got to say. And there's some really interesting things. So recently I came across something, Whitebox R, someone had tweeted about it. And I'd heard of Whitebox years ago about yep. what it was. But the fact there's now an R front end is awesome. And I thought, oh, ooh, I'm going to go and... <laughs> Just double check that whether it's on there, but I bet Andrew hasn't got this. And there it is. It's in the resources for R. So there's loads of really cool stuff. But I bet most things, if you come across it somewhere, is probably listed in our resource here in Awesome Earth Observation Code. I just think some of the things here are brilliant. And they're ideas for code that I wouldn't necessarily think about. And one day when I've got time, <laughs> he says, I want to just go through and <laughs> click on each one and find out what they do. Because even the one that I'm most proud of contributing, which is GeoRust, which is a yeah. basically a load of geospatial tools written in Rust. I've never used Rust. I just did it because it sounded funny. I actually, <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to go and look at the project and understand what it does and how it might be useful. Because you know that sort of thing is so beyond my sort of day-to-day -day in terms of, of what I do. So yeah, there's some really interesting projects that have come up through this. So I suppose my question to you is when people have been submitting links and, and uh, resources to you, is there anything that's caught you off guard and you've gone like, whoa, wasn't expecting that? Yeah. Okay. Sure. A lot of it is in R, actually, because right. I, I, okay. I said something in, on Twitter saying that I'm not an R guy. I don't even know where to look. So send me your links. And the way I've gone about looking for things is <laughs> if, you've, if you've interacted with me on Twitter or if you've interacted with awesome EO code, I've looked at other things that you've liked or looked at. Okay. So this is how I've started scraping, as it were. If you've clicked the um, star button or you've forked awesome Earth observation code, I've looked at your profile and seeing what a what else you've started what what you put in as a repo who you follow what they're doing i haven't i haven't managed everybody but that's how i'm sort of systematically trying to get as many things as i can so that's led me into some really interesting paths i came across things like s2p satellite stereo pipeline written in python that i hadn't seen before this will take stereo pairs of satellite data and build you an elevation model. And I was like, wow, yeah. I didn't even know about that. <laughs> there's just so many things. And it's been a really, you know, real learning for me. I mean, there's, I came across Verde. Have you, have you seen that before? Which is a, a Python library for processing spatial data, like buffetry, geophysical surveys, and gridding it. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's, another, there's another thing like that. And what I hope Awesome Earth Observation ultimately becomes, like a, like a kind of wiki, where you start drilling even further down into where you're most interested. I've just clicked on Cog Dumper again, just because it had an amusing name. But this is awesome. So basically, it extracts tiles from cloud-optimized geotiffs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I what where we are at the moment really is. I think that I'm getting to the point where I'm getting close to having most of the things that I'm aware of, 
and that yeah. I've been looking for. And as new things come along, I can put them in as we talk about them on the podcast, as I see that on Twitter, I, I will definitely do that. The challenge now, um, and this is where I'm sort of looking for feedback, is to how, how do I sort of group these things better to make them more usable? Because I think what you're going to do is you're going to look, you're going to say, oh, I'm interested in, I don't know, coast. Someone was talking to me about coastal management the other day. So sort of coastal projects. How many links have we got related to that? So like generic links and then more specific links. So yeah, that's, that's sort of needs thinking about. That whole idea of finding stuff, but like code and data raises the, the issue of like, why is finding it so hard? I mean, that's sort of why you, or is very much why you put together this, this whole repository. Do you think that we need a new approach about how these things are pulled together? Because I, I was thinking about this last couple of days, I've been having to do something for work and it is a case of how does one quality control the code or the data that's being generated and because so much is just being put out there these days and it might be that the thing you think you want looks really good in a repo but it doesn't actually do what you're you think it does so you, you need at some level of technical ability to actually assess that what it is you're looking for is actually delivering what you think it is this list is curated in the sense that you've put it together and you're uh, putting the links under different headings and things but it's not curated in that you've sat down and gone through every link and made sure that it's fit for purpose etc i'm guessing um i've, I've looked at everyone right, um, yeah okay but but you're right i mean have i run all the code no for, for sure <laughs> but it, it it is interesting i mean you you raise a very good point and you're almost sort of saying it needs a bit of deep learning doesn't it it needs me to label or collectively label which are good yeah and then it to sort of group them based yeah. on that yeah. we all have bookmarks we all have a series of web pages that contain slices of information or blogs or code or whatever whatever you're working on that jump us straight to that thing and and some bookmarks are more valuable than others and some you forget about over time but when i started doing it i was like i'm just going to share all, all my bookmarks i don't think there's any any reason why not to and i've got a bit of code also on this on this repo that that will convert it all into a bookmarks html file you can run that code you don't even have to go into the, the github page and run that code and you'll get all the links and then you can just have them straight in your browser awesome we're lacking centralized resources for the simplest pieces of information relating to to geospatial hopefully in terms of where do people go to find out more about code and stuff over time this will become the place where they do come well i hope with the podcast that we can start paying it forward a bit i'm not interested in the the ownership of it i'm interested in there being an easy way of getting this information what can we do, you and me, for sure, people listening to the podcast, absolutely. But, you, you know, the, things like Stack and COG, they come about because there's a need and the community gets together and addresses that need. And I think one of the things that we could potentially take the lead on is trying to bring this information into a more coherent thing. And this sort of rounds it back to the, the very first lunchtime chat this is almost becoming a topic about our lunchtime chats, but the, the, which, which was the, the most common thing that came away from that was education, education, education. Yeah. But so there's, there's a couple of points I want to make. One is what I think would be really cool is if people came to Awesome EO Code and were looking through it and found projects that they were interested in 
that they actually then contacted the people who are running those projects and started to contribute. And it doesn't have to be in code. It can be in helping with documentation or it can be helping just promote that project or whatever. But if we in some way through this um, awesome EO code repository were able to help some of these projects and the, uh, these communities just get a bit more visibility, I think that that in itself would be amazing. Yep. Um, and then the other thing was, is really a question to you is how do people help contribute into awesome EO code? How do they do that? Do they email you? Do they, what do they do? Okay. So on all awesome labeled collections, curated lists, um, you should have a contributing.md file. And I do have a contributing MD file and it lists how you can contribute. And okay. I also list everybody who has contributed. So you can open a pull request, file an issue. If you're not comfortable with GitHub, you can send me an email. My email is up there. You can send me a message on Twitter. You can DM me on Twitter if that's not your thing. You can, you can, <laughs> you can stop me on the street. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, and, and I, I will put it on it. If you think it's valuable, then that, that's a sort of, that's good enough for me. Cool, excellent. The only thing I would ask is if you can check that it isn't already on there. But yeah, what I'm really pleased about is that we've got 21 contributors now, in, in, including both you and me. That's really great. I'd love to double that. We're just shy of 400 resources. I think it's 396 last time I checked. I've always said I think there'll be about 500. I'm never sure if, if I should mention this, but in terms of likes or stars, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable about, about saying these things because it's, it's really not about that. But uh, on the Earth Observation tag, um, there are 106 repos on GitHub uh, with the tag Earth Observation. Uh, out of all of those, we are fifth. Oh, get in. in list. So sorry, no, it's not about that, but brilliant. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I use the starring system. If you start it, it is a kind of a jog to me to go and have a look to see what else you've starred, to see what I've missed. Yeah, I need to get back onto this because I haven't actually merged anything since end of april i'm pleased I, I think it's another thing that we do in the podcast what, what we've always said from the beginning trying to be part of a, a bigger community to make it easier for people and to sort of share the the enjoyment of it all i think We encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSceneFrom, where you could also maybe get in touch with Andrew. Yep. Add, add something into the awesome EO code repository, uh, where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening, and that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. Yawn. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so you are going to edit out. <laughs>
podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.